Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tea Time with the Teacher. Our guest this week is Lisa Larson. Lisa's originally from New Jersey, but she moved to Florida seven years ago to care for her dad. And this enabled her to finish college and gain her elementary education degree. Her passion is reading, and as a reading teacher, she believes that children need to fall in love with reading to be successful. And currently, she's a reading interventionist. She pulls small groups all day and has been teaching for six years. And in this episode, Lisa and I talk about positive behavior support. Let me tell you, she has stories on stories on stories. The power of believing in a kid who struggles, the power of making a kid a simple sandwich for lunch, getting them a tiara, and that being the transformation that that kid needed, that further affirmation. We also talk about teaching to a test and the failure of the school system to make reading accessible, relevant, and engaging for students to inspire them to read more. Hope you guys enjoy, and thanks for listening. This is my sixth year teaching. I have, uh, this is a second career for me but I've always been involved with kids. Uh, in New Jersey, I've only been in Florida for seven years. Um, in New Jersey, I was a lunch lady for 15 years at an elementary school. So I have access to uh, millions of, you know, a large mentoring family. I did first two years in New Jersey and I got my associates and then I moved to Florida to take care of my dad about seven years ago, and I was able to finish my last two years. So I've only been a teacher for about six. I went to a college in Pasco County here called St. Leo University, which is an awesome teaching school. Uh, I heard when you were speaking with your last, uh, I think her name was Sarah, saying they don't really teach classroom management. A class that I had in, in school was classroom management. She's actually one of the people that I reach out to if I need something is, is, you know, my professor. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't have that advantage and they don't see how important it is. And the biggest thing about classroom management is if the kids know you care, then they're going to behave in a way, if it's possible, you know, their behavior is going to change that, you know, people just, they need to get on board with it. They have to understand that children will take negative attention as much as they'll take positive. So if you get them used to that positive attention, it, it will, it'll turn them around. And I've seen it work. I have seen it work. Can you talk about, you know, those experiences that you had with certain students where you realized the impact, positive behavior, and that relationship you have with that student encouraging them has impacted them in such a big way? My biggest impact is I had a child Uh, Second grade, there were nine kids in the family, all from, because we know about, all my schools have been Title I. Mm -hmm. I've taught only at Title I schools, you know, uh, so there were a lot of kids and a lot of pressure for him, from him, for people at home. He actually, at the beginning of the year, I was on the second floor. He actually, at the beginning of the year, threatened to throw himself off the balcony. Or literally, I had to hold him from going out the door, and he got Baker acted. So he was Baker acted. When he came back, we put him on a behavior plan. And, you know, he had to have a safety plan, put on a behavior plan. So when we asked him, what did you want your reward to be, he wanted lunch as his reward. Because he was Title I. He was getting free lunch. You know, he didn't like what they were serving. So, all right, so maybe some people think, okay, are we going to? can go above and beyond giving this kid lunch. Well, he 
wanted a monster lunchbox. So for like $5, I found this monster lunchbox. And if he met his goal for the day, he would get lunch the next day in his lunchbox. I was making my own sandwich. You know, it wasn't hard to make him a sandwich. That kid now, by the end of the year, he was soaring, behavior gone, learning because he was a really smart kid, you know, involvement, no more, you know, shyness. And it just really turned him around. And he now is, you know, he's in upper grades now and he's doing well. He has no behavior problems. He doesn't have a behavior chart anymore. To me, you know, I don't actually work at that school anymore. I left, I worked in Pasco County, which is about four hours from here. And now I'm in West Palm. I still keep in touch with him. Like on Facebook, he'll send me something or whatever. And I, you know, kept up with the family and, you know, he's really doing well. And and that would be like my hugest story because I got a lot of crap from other teachers about bringing him lunch. Mm-hmm. You know, that was like a big thing, but the kid's starving. If you know Title One. When he goes home at night, there might not be dinner. And he wasn't eating lunch because he didn't like it. Teachers have to realize, you know, when they say, oh, he went to the principal's, you know, he was removed from my room and he went to the principal's office and they gave him juice and cookies. Well, they need time to de-escalate. They don't know how to de-escalate, you know, especially in the younger grades. Now, I'm not talking about like six, seven, and eight, because if you haven't fixed that problem, by the time they get older, you're probably not going to fix it. You know, I'm talking about, I've always been elementary, never taught above fourth grade. In fact, this year is the first year that I've taught above fourth grade. And it's only in small group. And it's all about reading. So, you know, it's phonics and stuff. That's really important that they get that positive support. Because if they don't get it, they're going to keep acting out. And because they want the attention and they'll take the negative attention. Where do you think that comes from, from those teachers who have that kind of mindset towards these younger kids when they, when they act out? It's just, I think, old school. I have never, I had a really good classroom management teacher. That's, that's something that I have to say, you know, that's something that she taught us. I had a child when I was doing my internship that all she wanted was a tiara. She wanted Tierra. Like we did, you know, we, her teacher got her on a behavior plan and she got the Tierra. She ended up getting the award for the turnaround student. You know, and that was something we would say in class. You never know what a Tierra can do. Um, and it's true. It really is true. And, and that's what people have to realize. These kids don't have good home lives. They don't. If you're in a Title One school, you need to educate yourself a little bit more on in the sociology aspect of it than so much as the academics. You know, you need to know where you're going in these demographics. And that was another thing we were talking about is the FSA. I actually am at a dual language school, which in a traditional thing, my son is 29. He went to a dual language school. He can te- he can speak two languages. My dual language school is because we have such a huge Hispanic population they get half the day in Spanish and then they get half the day in English. Well, third grade rolls around, guess what? FSA, which is our standardized test, is not done in Spanish, it's done in English. So now these kids have to learn how to read because if they're passing on the Spanish side, then they're passing school. With this FSA coming up, uh, you know, these kids are very stressed out. I mean, we are very stressed here in Palm Beach. 
uh, about the FSA. And I don't know what's, I really don't know what's going to happen. Third grade is mandatory retention. Uh, I don't know if that's across the board in the country, but I know it is in Florida. If you don't pass the FSA, you get retained. In just in third grade? Or just at, in third. At certain grade levels, yeah. Just in third. Okay. Uh, which again is bad because you have these students that are behind and maybe first and second grade. And they're not going to retain them because they say, well, hey, they're not going to pass the FSA in third, so they're going to be retained in third. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to retain them two years in a, you know, two years or whatever, which I agree with. You know, you don't want to retain them those couple of years and then they're, you know, 15 in sixth grade. When I get these kids or where these kids come in and they feel like failures, I mean, it's third grade and they can't read English. That's where behavior comes in, too. So if you, they were getting that positive support, even if it was, you know, you're doing a good job, have this growth mindset to do this, you know, we're going to get through it together. Even if that's the positive behavior support you're giving them, at least you're building their confidence. People do it. You can't beat these kids down. You can't. And you have to be upfront with them. You have to tell, I tell them all the time, the people that make the tests, they're not your friend. They are not trying to help you pass. That's why there's answers that are close together. Or I'll tell them about math. I mean, they will study math to find out the most common mistake a child makes in a math problem. And then put that answer in the answer that you have to choose from. Mm -hmm. Because if you make that common mistake, you're going to pick that wrong answer. People talk about, you know, you're teaching to the test. I'm, I'm not teaching to the test. I teach the standards. What I'm teaching when it comes to the test is getting used to the questions they're going to see. And do you teach standards? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Common core. It's state like of us. Texas has their own, but yeah. We have the Florida state standards and, you know, they're really common core. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy that I, you know, I feel a little bit, it, it, it stinks sometimes to, to have to base a lot of, especially come state test time, a lot of, you know, your lessons and practice questions and this and that, and that's an eighth grade. So where at least the justif justification you could say is, you know, you're getting to high school and SAT and college and all that stuff. But, but in, in the younger ages, it seems so, so early to, it's, you know, you'd want them to love school and just enjoy fun lessons and all that stuff. And here you're having to, you know, get them ready for a state test and, like high stakes testing. I mean, that third grade, that seems. Feel Especially like seems since so early. where they're coming from last year. We have kids that have, parents have been able to choose in our county if they want to send their kids back or not. So for the FSA, the kids that are virtual have to come to school to take the FSA. Okay. Now they've been home for how long? Okay, they've been home for over a year. How are you going to make them come to school? You know, I'm sure their parents are going to be super stressed out because they don't want their kids there anyway. So my group has to wait. They don't get it, no accommodations. They have to wait till everybody in the class is done, materials collected, and then they're going to start calling their parents to come pick them up. And the system is just so broke. Make them take diagnostic testing. You know, we do these practice. We did a practice FSA right last week. You know, and that stresses them out even more. And the one thing that really, and it's funny because it just happened yesterday that put me over the edge is I'm supposed to teach reading, phonics, all that kind of stuff, because that's what these kids are missing. I mean, we're talking about going back to short bats. 
Some of these kids have only been in country for a year. We went from phonics and that stuff to comprehension because FSA is coming up, right? Mm -hmm. So I have to use the resources. That's another thing. They, this school is, you know, I can bring some of my stuff in, but I pretty much have to use their resources. They give me, we're doing comparing and contrasting two, uh, two myths. So they give me two myths. One is Demeter and Persephone, which if you know the myth, it's about the daughter being kidnapped and this is why we have the seasons. Then the other one was again, another one about why we have seasons, okay? We live in Florida, JB. We don't have seasons. How are they supposed to relate to that? Okay, where's their background knowledge? They don't have snow. <laughs> you know, we have a wet and a dry. That's it. They're not even thinking about how can they relate to this if they've never, they've never experienced it. They go out and pick an orange or an apple anytime they want. Do you know Schoolhouse Rock? So when I was a kid, they used to put us on the TV and the TV on Saturday because it was our favorite cartoons. But instead of playing commercials, we got that schoolhouse rock. It's important because these kids, it activates both sides of your brain if you play something to music uh, and they, they latch onto it. I mean, if you ask my kids, why do we have a president? They're going to tell you because we didn't want a king because we watched No More Kings. I had a class one year that was so low we asked, uh, they didn't get adjectives. So if you asked them what an adjective was, they would actually say, it was a hairy bear. It was a scary bear. They have this technology and they can be like, boom, everything I wanna know is right here. It's gotta be fun. And that's, uh, that's another thing that a lot of teachers just don't wanna get on board with. I know Marzano did not plan his little 40 numbered list uh, for a pandemic and teaching virtual and stuff, but that's a, a list to go by, you know, specific praise, all those things, you know, it's not a, a suggestion, you know, they're not telling you, well, maybe you could try this stuff. No, this is what you need to do. This is best practice. And I'm sorry they weren't doing that 20 years ago, but we got to change with the times. I shouldn't go into a, another teacher's room ask them for a piece of anchor chart paper and they don't have it, you know, and I'm not blaming teachers, you know, that's, I don't want to get onto that whole thing because you know what, we got so much negativity right now going on. We went from heroes to zeros in a matter of six months, you know, and that's not cool. It, it's not. So I don't want to blame them. They need, you know, there are teachers that just don't want to get on board with it. We have a teacher right now. She has a little girl. Um, she doesn't want to do a behavior chart or anything like that. She stands, she, the girl walks out of class and then she'll stand at the door and kick the door. And her teacher doesn't call admin, doesn't do anything for the child, has not tried to change her behavior in any way, shape or form. Her solution was the next time the child's outside kicking the door, she wants everybody to ignore her so that she learns that people aren't going to come to her rescue when she does what she's doing. And sent out an email that said that. Just let her stand outside and kick the door. Well, how do you know what happened to her this morning? How do you know what her day was like this morning? We could change that child. We could help that child, but not if the teacher doesn't want to do it.
Do you do you feel like your ad, your administration is having those conversations with those teachers or are they just resigned to the fact that they are set in their ways and, and nothing's going to change? Are they supportive of this idea of positive behavior support? They are supportive to an extent. Um, I actually have really good admin right now. Uh, I feel horrible for my principal because she's the best, but all this COVID stuff coming down on her and we've had cases. I mean, I'm not kidding you where once a week you may get a phone call that goes out to the parents saying that there's been another confirmed case. Mm-hmm. And down here, I can't get I can't get on a list to get the shot. And I'm over 55 and I'm a teacher. We got cleared a long time ago and I can't get into five there's like five or six different places because they're booked, they're booked, they're booked. They're, they're, I feel like the admin has a lot going on with them right now. I'm not, if you're doing the best that you can every single day, I can't ask you for more than that. You know, um, and we do have behaviors. So, and with the principal not really being able to be involved in that, she's running around the school all the time. You know, she's doing the best that she can. You let that little girl stand outside that door and kick and kick and kick all day long. Why are you trying to break this child? You know, why are you trying to get her to concede to your ability? Let's find out what's wrong. You know, when she's sitting there kicking the door and the guidance counselor comes by and takes her, she's not being, she's being rescued. She needs to be rescued. If you were admin or if you could tell your admin, because I agree, uh, we have the same type of teachers and the same type of incidents at, at our school as well. I think the question is, when you've provided that professional development and that training on how to positively provide that behavior support, what is next when the teacher still cannot shift their mindset? and therefore is negatively impacting those students still. Absolutely, I don't know, what are you gonna do? You know, they sit in PDs and they sit in faculty meetings and they listen and then they just laugh about it. The worst part is too, that little girl kicking the door, I'm gonna approach her with a positive behavior support mode. I'm gonna go up to her and I'm gonna, I've done it and and I've gotten yelled at for doing it. Not by admin, but by the other teachers mm-hmm. and, you know, especially her own teacher who's been teaching for 25 years. That child needs to know how to deescalate before she gets to the point of kicking the door. That her teacher should know and she should have a plate. I had a, I had a, um, a blanket fort in my room one year for a kid who didn't know how to deescalate and I had nowhere for him to be able to go and just chill out. You know, um, he had a toolbox that, you know, had like a, a, a squeezy thing for frustration um, and, you know, other things. And he would do it. You know, he would he eventually didn't need that behavior chart anymore because he knew, OK, I need to deescalate. I need to calm down. I'm going to go my fort. And he didn't abuse it. You know, sometimes only being there for two minutes talking himself down and then be like, okay, I'm good. We play every Friday in my classes, we play Kahoot. Don't you love Kahoot, dude? Oh yeah, it's great. 
you know, and not only can you I actually have one just for fun that's called Who Knows Mrs. Larson the Best, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll play. But I can make that Kahoot is an assessment. Every Friday, I make a Kahoot that is an assessment for what they had just done. And it, I get an assessment from it. These teachers act like Kahoot is a prize. Oh, well, you know, if you act well today, maybe we'll play Kahoot because maybe they don't have the time. I mean, I don't have kids and stuff. My kids are grown. I spend a lot of time making these things and doing these things. And, you know, teachers are juggling five different things. But that's where it comes to we're a team. And if we're a team, we need to ask for help. I I got a good laughing story for you, JB. We have elopers or runners. Do you have little kids that run off, that run away? At a middle school, maybe one or two, but not not the same as- Okay, we have elopers and the school is completely fenced. I worked in a school that was right next door to um, a supermarket, Winn-Dixie, right? Eight foot chain link fence to get out of the school into Winn-Dixie. All right, so this little kindergarten kid, he took off and he has a TA that's supposed to follow him, but she was like 90, okay? She was not catching this child running across the field at full speed. So he climbed the fence. You know, we, we saw him do it, climbed the fence, got over. And then it's like, everybody's like, you know, you call the emergency team, we gotta go, because he's over the fence. You know where we found him? We found him in the, uh, the wine aisle <laughs> at Winn-Dixie with a box of wine. And we asked him what he was doing. And he went, I'm getting mama juice. How old was this kid? Kindergarten. What did his actual mom say when she heard that? She laughed. She said, oh, he knows. Like, I think she was proud of him because he knew what aisle to go to. <laughs> I literally enjoy my kids. I will laugh out loud. You know, we were doing... <laughs> And and because I go to different grades and we're on that compare and contrast thing right now. So we're comparing and contrasting two Cinderella stories. So we're talking about, you know, character analysis. Well, let's talk about the stepmother. Let's describe the stepmother. And it was the best. I got two answers that deserved A's and they got A's. One was stepmother was bougie. That woman is bougie. If you ever met a bougie woman before. And the other kid said she was a gold digger, A's all around, but they're using, they're using their, I mean, I laughed out loud. When that kid said gold digger, I, I mean, I could only imagine the conversations going on in his house for him to be able to bring that word up and use it correctly. Those you are the genuine you, moments right there. I live for that, especially in, I'm very lucky that I'm in a small group situation because I see the light bulb all the time where they'll be like, oh, I love that. I love it. Well, that's all I had, Lisa. I, I, I think you're, the stories that you told were hilarious, but I, I think your unique perspective on a behavior support, I don't think we've touched on in the podcast before. So, so I think it's really going to hit home with, with a lot of teachers who may feel that frustration and as well as how we all feel about standardized tests, especially at third grade, which is crazy. Good luck to your kids. And, and good luck when dealing with the teachers, that specific teacher who something's got to happen. They got to go. Thank you so much for taking this opportunity and talking to all of us because I don't feel so alone. 
you know, uh, I found you through Honest Teacher Vibes, mm -hmm. and she has me rolling on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. She's awesome. You know, and she takes a lot of crap, so I'm pretty proud of her that she sticks with it. There's two things that I would tell a new teacher, first-year teacher, because I always notice that you end with this, kind of. Mm -hmm. Mentors. You need a mentor, and you need more than one, and you need one that's not assigned by the school. So have people that you can reach out to that has nothing to do with where you're teaching. And I forgot what the other thing I was going to say. It's all FSA on my brain. But thank you so much. I did for doing this because I do feel like we're, we're not alone. And that was my second thing right there. Look for people like you as a first-year teacher. Look for Gary Brooks. Okay, Even though he's funny, he's got a lot to say that makes a lot of sense. Honest teachers, mm -hmm. so I look at you. Okay, they're going to help you. These people are going to help you your first year of teaching. You got to reach out. You can't do it on your own. It takes mm -hmm. a village to raise a child. It takes a village to make a teacher. But thank you so much for taking the time, Lisa, and, and good luck in getting your shot. And then the FSA, of course. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed Tea Time with Lisa great person great educator and i really enjoyed speaking with her i hope you guys enjoyed the funny stories that she talked about as well as the impactful ones we're back with another episode next week we've only got a couple more until we close out season one take a break and then move on and shift our themes for season two so stay tuned thanks for listening and see you next week